we're continuing with Galatians chapter 3, uh, picking up where we left off last Wednesday. And we were, the just shall live by faith in, in uh, verse 11. The just shall live by faith. We talked about that a little bit. And we talked about where it originated from the Old Testament. And we talked a little bit about Martin Luther and the history behind him and what, what uh, that verse did to him and really opened his eyes up. So if you go back and, and study him, an uh, awesome book by Eric Metaxas did a really big, thick book if you want to get all the details. You don't have to read that big book, but you, there's others that you can get um, that has a sh you know, shorter stories. I, I watched the movie and years ago, and it may, it may have been based off that book. I don't But uh, Eric Metaxas does a really good job on William Wilberforce, the Amazing Grace book, and there was another one that he I can't remember right now, but Martin Luther was one, then the one on William Wilberforce. Oh, I think Bonhoeffer. So very, very good books. Again, I haven't actually, I've read part of the Martin Luther book. I have it at the house. Somebody let me uh, use it. But um, the perfect example of what we're going through in Galatians and why Galatians is so needed until Christ comes. It's, it's always going to be needed. That's why it's in our Bible, and that's why we're studying it. So I am going to be just reading a verse, and then I'm going to the Believer's Bible Commentary, just going to talk a little bit about it, uh, what he has written in there, and we'll just work our way through the rest of chapter 3. Hopefully we'll get all the way through it tonight. So 13, Christ hath redeemed us, from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. You know, it was a it was a horrible thing to think of someone being nailed to a cross. The way that the uh, the Romans punished people, that punishment that they had that was for death was hanging someone on a cross. I, the human being is a very... When you hear people say, or even Bible verses talk about how sinful man is. As, just as a whole, when you look at mankind, they're always looking for new ways to eliminate others. That, that power to do it if they wanted to. And... Man is very greedy, selfish, always looking out for themselves. And you know, if it's not for the Bible and having Jesus as an example, we're all just out for ourselves. But because of the Word of God, the wonderful scriptures that we have, and the example of Jesus, we, if we're true Christians, we're different. We look out for others. We, we, we watch what Jesus does. I mean, think about it. You know, we just did the Lord's Supper. Think about right before he did that, they had the Passover meal. What did he do during that meal? 
that was so amazing? Huh? Washed feet. Exactly. A servant. That would be, a, a, you were, you're a servant in this house and they assigned you for that job. You'd be like, oh no. You would not want that job. And Jesus didn't have to do that, but he, that's one of the things he did that night, which means he washed Judas's feet. As well. So do we pick and choose who we serve? Jesus washed the feet of the very person that was going to betray him that night. He had already betrayed him, and he was going to turn him over that, later that evening. And Jesus was uh, setting an example for us that we, even if someone is our enemy, we are to serve them. Because that just might be what softens their heart enough to where they turn to the Word and, and look for salvation in Jesus. But can you imagine, the, the, it would just be absolutely humiliating to be stripped down to nothing, forced down onto that cross, the spikes driven through the hands, driven through the feet. That right there was, is horrible. And then the big hole in the ground, and they start hoisting up that big cross with that human on it, and work it over, work it over, and get it up there, and then they push it over, and it falls, and then hits the bottom of that hole. Sudden stop, and, and your hands are... They, they also, a lot of times, because there was times where the, the nail would rip out, you know, the hand would separate, and the person would fall and be dangling from their feet, and, you know, they'd have to do it all over again. So they would take... A lot of times, they would take rope and tie around as well, so that it wouldn't, they wouldn't come loose. <clears throat> they say that joints would come out. Uh, the joints of the body would pop out. So you could just imagine the pain and the suffering. So cursed is everyone who hangeth on a tree. It also said earlier that... Um, Cursed is everyone that continueth, verse 10, that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Jesus, because, because we had to be rescued, Jesus took our place. We were cursed by the law had condemned us. The law is there and it, it has a purpose and it's to give us something to measure up to, and we're, we're told, measure up to it. And we fail and fail and fail at it. And we finally get to a point where we say, we can't do this. Someone has to save me. That's what the law does. And to say that Jesus has saved you, and then go back to the law and try to make that part of your Christian walk, is a, a terrible thing to do. Why would you try to do that? That's what Galatians is trying to get across to us. 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. It's got to be through faith. Why was Abraham called righteous? Because he believed God. Why did he believe God? 
You know, it was story after story going through Genesis where Abraham didn't have what you would, if, as you're reading all about Abraham, you, would, you see where he, his faith was not very good. And by the time he finally got Isaac, Isaac was finally born. By the time that happens, look at all the stuff that Abraham had gone through. His faith was building year after year after year. That, and that's what we should do. We, we, as we live our life, our faith gets stronger and stronger. So that when it gets to the point where Abraham is told, take the promise, who is now 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, I don't know exactly, but I, I always say 17. Take this, you've had this promise for 17 years now. He's grown up. You've raised him. You, you love him dearly. Now take him up on Mount Moriah and, and kill him. Offer him as a sacrifice. And over in Hebrews, it tells us that Abraham had come to the point where if God is telling him to offer him, which means plunging a knife in him, shedding his blood, putting him up on that wood and setting it on fire, the blood being spilled as an offering, and then the sweet-smelling savor of the, of the meat burning up to God. You know, that's, you know, just think about the ox or the, or the ram or the lamb that would be put on the altar. All those things had a purpose. And he's, Abraham's saying, so after all these years of him trying to do it his way, helping God out, and the failure of Ishmael, you know, bringing Ishmael into the world and, and all, that, all that deal... He had finally got to a point where he realized that what God says is going to happen. It may not happen in, on, in my, what I think is the right time frame, but it's going to end up happening. So over in Hebrews it says that Abraham pretty much came to the conclusion that if I go through with this sacrifice, God has to raise him from the dead. Because God's already said that through Isaac, your seed will come. And he's, he pretty much figured God out. So his faith was very good at that point. And God tested his faith up on top of that mountain. And one day, way beyond that, we know that Jesus carried the wood up to Mount Calvary, which is Mount Moriah. It's the same mountain. And how different it was after all those years. There was a, a city called Jerusalem nearby. It was, it was very different, but God told him, I will show you the place. And they went out three days, and they came to the place, and that's where they did it. But Abraham had come to the conclusion that God will have to raise him from the dead. And that is a picture of Jesus one day, actually, because, you know, remember, Isaac said, we've got the fire, we've got the wood, but where's the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provi provide himself a lamb. You know, different versions change that around a little bit to say that God will provide you know, the emphasis is on a lamb. He'll, he'll, he'll find something. 
but it says a lamb. But was there a lamb provided that, on that mountain? It was a, it was a ram caught in a thicket. Why was it a ram and not a lamb? So that we would see the prophecy being told right there. It wasn't a lamb that they got loose from the brush. It was a ram. Well, he just said God will provide him a lamb. So himself is who's going to be on the cross. God in human flesh will be him. That will be nailed to the cross, will be sacrificed for everybody. 15, brethren, I speak after the manner of men, though it be but a man's covenant, yet if it be confirmed, no man disannulleth or addeth thereto. All right, I have yet to read anything out of this Bible, this Believer's Bible Commentary. I told you I was going to be reading out of that. I haven't got there yet. All right, so we're in uh, 15. So what uh, William MacDonald says is, In human affairs, when a covenant or will is signed and sealed, no one would think of changing the document or adding to it. If human testaments cannot be broken, how much less can God's? Talking about the uh, disannulleth or addeth thereto. So if they, they, he said it very well. All right, 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one and to thy seed, which is Christ. And we know you follow the, the family tree, you follow it down, all the way down, generation after generation after generation, all the way down to Jesus. Uh, no doubt the Judaizers had, had argued that although the promises were originally made to Abraham and to his seed... By faith, yet these same people of Israel were subsequently put under the law. Therefore, the Galatians, though originally saved by, by faith, must now observe the Ten Commandments. Paul answers, the promises were made to Abraham and his seed, singular. Seed may sometimes denote a multitude, yet here it denotes one person, a capital P person, namely Christ, we ourselves would probably never see this in reading the Old Testament, but the Spirit of God enlightens us. So if you're back in uh, Genesis and you're reading the story of Abraham, you may miss it. There's a lot of things that you could miss. Yeah, yeah I was listening to Adrian Rogers today. He was talking about uh, rapture and how people will say rapture. The word rapture is not in the Bible. Well, neither is Trinity. But is there a Trinity? I've argued with people that say there's not. They say, well, you can't find Trinity. You can't find Trinity in the Bible. Well, can you see Jesus in the Old Testament? All through it. Not, not, not the name Jesus, right? J-E-S-U-S. You do not see that in the Old Testament at all. So does that mean Jesus isn't in the Old Testament? He's everywhere in the Old Testament. So be careful. People who want to argue 
there's the word translated. That's, we use the word rapture, but Enoch was translated. Philip was, after, after baptizing the Ethiopian eunuch, well, after sharing the word of God with him and making sure that he believed, then he baptized him into the water that they were there, and then he was translated. He was gone. So there is that, that word in the Bible. It's just not rapture. Trinity. Um, there's all kinds of places where you can see Trinity in the Bible. You can see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. In 1 John 5, 7, most versions of the Bible take out the strongest verse for the Trinity. It's, it's just gone. That's why we preach out of the King James, because it keeps that verse in place. And I've researched it, and people will say, oh, well, certain manuscripts, this, that, and the other. Look, I've, I've searched all of that out. That means, that argument means nothing to me. I've searched all this stuff out. I am very confident that that verse was supposed to be there. So the New Testament here, it's, it's giving us the answers to a lot of things you may have missed in the Old Testament. All right, 17. And this I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. Back to this commentary. God's promise to Abraham was unconditional. It did not depend on works at all. God simply agreed to give Abraham a seed, which was Christ, though he had no child. Abraham believed God, thus believing also in the Christ to come and he was justified. The coming of the law 430 years later could not affect the promise of salvation in any way. It could neither revoke the promise nor add conditions to it. Perhaps the Judaizers were suggesting that the law coming 430 years after the promise had the effect of annulling it. Not at all. Paul says, in effect, the promise was like a will and had been ratified by a death, the covenant sacrifice. It could not be revoked. The 430 years are reckoned from the time that God confirmed the Abrahamic covenant to Jacob just as Jacob was preparing to enter Egypt. And they extend to the giving of the law about three months after the Exodus. So to get the, to figure out the 430 years, people have tried to figure all that out. Um, it was the time that Jacob went in because when Jacob went in, it was predicted a long time before with Abraham that for 400 years your people will be in bondage. Well, they ended up going to Egypt. They all ended up getting and not because they decided that that's what they wanted to do. They sent Joseph there <laughs> by just getting rid of him. They didn't say, they had no plan. They didn't know. They, they did something very evil out of jealousy. 
just like the nation of Israel, did something very evil out of jealousy, wanted, just wanted to get rid of Jesus. So Joseph, in Genesis, ended up in Egypt. That's where he ended up. God was just making it all happen so where all of Joseph's people would end up going down there on their own to buy food, to stay alive. They all ended up going down there. And then that Pharaoh that loved Joseph dies. A new Pharaoh comes along, and he doesn't remember Joseph. And all the nation of Israel is in bondage, just like God said so many years before. And they're in bondage in Egypt for, for 400 years. Well, the law didn't come until after they were in the wilderness. And Moses goes up and brings the law down to them. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. 18, for if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. The inheritance must be either by faith or by works. It cannot be by both. Scripture makes it clear that it was given to Abraham by unconditional promise, so it, so it is with salvation. So it is with salvation. You, have, you can't get it by works, it's got to be through faith. It is offered as an unconditional gift. Any thought of working for it is excluded. Verse 19, Wherefore, then, then serveth the law, asking a question, so are you going to serve, serve the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. So what purpose does the law serve? If as Paul contended, the law did not annul or add conditions to the promise God made to Abraham, what was the purpose of the law? The law was intended to reveal sin in its true character as transgression. Sin existed before the law, but man did not recognize it as transgression until the law came. Transgression is the violation of a known law. You know, that's why there's so many laws in the, in the books. You know, the Code of Virginia, very, very huge. All the laws... Because if you don't have it as law, you can't lock somebody up for doing something. If the law's not there, you can't penalize somebody for it. Even though everybody knows it was wrong, what he did, if it's not stated in law, you cannot, as a civil government, put the, punish the person for it. So the law did the same thing here in the Bible. The law was made so that we, we would be called transgressors, which we, we really were, we were actually breaking something that was written down that it could be pointed to, you're failing right here. So it's, a little, it's, it's different when you think about the law being written in your hearts. I think that's something that all people have to a degree that God does write His law in people's hearts, and I think that's our conscience. Because every, every kid... You don't have to tell a little kid certain things. When they do something wrong, they seem to know it, and they, they want to hide. It's like, how do they know to hide? Why are they embarrassed by it? 
Well, their great, 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 great uh, grandfather, Adam, he ate from the tree of, you know, good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil. And all of a sudden, he realized, ah, uh, is that God coming? Let's go hide. So it's in, it's in humans. We, we all have a little light inside of us when we come into this world. We know certain things, but that's just being human. And we all end up failing our very own conscience. So we condemn ourselves. We all fall short of what we. You know, people, you, you can ask somebody, you know, are, you, are you sure you're, you're right with God? Are you sure that you're going to be okay if you die? And they say, well, I'm doing the best that I can. So, you, so did you really do the best you could today? Could you have done any better? Yeah, I probably could have done a little better. Well, you just condemned yourself because you said you were doing the best you can. Now you're admitting that you never really do the best you can. You do just what you can get by with, basically. So we end up condemning ourselves. So transgression is the violation of a known law. The law was given to a nation of sinners. They could never obtain righteousness by keeping it because they did not have the power to obey it. The law was meant to show men what hopeless sinners they were so they would cry out to God to save them by His grace. God's covenant with Abraham was an unconditional promise of blessing. The law resulted only in cursing. The law demonstrated the unworthiness of man to receive free and unconditional blessing. If man is to be blessed, it must be by the grace of God. The seed is Christ. Therefore, the law was given as a temporary measure until the coming of Christ. The promised Abrahamic blessing was to come through Him, capital H, Him. A contract between the two parties involves a mediator, a go-between. The law involved two contracting parties, God and Israel. Moses served as go-between. The angels were God's messengers in delivering the law to Moses. The participation of Moses and the angels spoke of distance between God and His people, of a people unfit for His presence. Does that make, does that make 19? That, that was a long uh, comment on verse 19, but 19 talked about, and it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Moses was the mediator. Moses is a type and picture of Christ. He was the mediator between Israel and God. Jesus is the mediator between God and us. 20. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. If there was only one contracting party, and he made an unconditional promise requiring nothing from the other party, there would be no need of a mediator. The fact that the law required a mediator implied that man must keep his part of the agreement. This was the weakness of the law. It called for obedience from those who did not have the power to give it. When God made his promise to Abraham, he was the sole contracting party. This was the strength of the promise 
Everything depended on God and nothing on man. No mediator was involved because none was needed. So why was it offered? You know, you have to ask yourself, why was it offered if it couldn't be done? Why do you test things? A person who builds a bridge, he's not going, if he has any doubt at all, he's never going to test it. He knows for sure it's not going to fail, but he tests it so that everybody else can see. 21, is the law then against, against the promises of God? God forbid. For if, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Faith here, I'm reading out of the uh, commentary, faith here is the Christian faith. It refers to the era ushered in by the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus and the preaching of the gospel at Pentecost. Before that time, the Jews were kept under guard as if in a prison or in custody. They were fenced in by the law's requirements, and since they could not fulfill these, they were restricted in the way of faith for salvation. The people under law were thus confined until the glorious news of deliverance from the bondage of the law was announced in the gospel. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. Schoolmaster. What does that make you think of, schoolmaster? Well, in, um, in, in, back in those days, you would have a person, there was a, there was a lot of slaves or bond servants, different, different reasons for people being slaves back in those days. And if you were obligated to go out and serve and do, you do your job during the day, the little kids would have been turned over to a, a schoolmaster, somebody who would raise them, teach them things, like a tutor. And then when they became an adult, then they would be freed from that and they would be their own person. So the law, it was a schoolmaster to the nation of Israel. It was to point us to Christ. That's what it was for. 25. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. So if you, by faith, believe that Jesus did it all, and you're still trying to keep the law to please God, you're still under the schoolmaster as well. You're supposed to be no longer under the schoolmaster. 26, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That sounds like Romans chapter 6. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Christ. Let's see what he says about that. That's 27. Union with Christ. 
which takes place at the time of conversion, is confessed in water baptism. This baptism does not make a person a member of Christ or an inheritor of the kingdom of God. It is a public identification with Christ, which Paul speaks of as a putting on of Christ. Just as a soldier proclaims himself a member of the army by putting on his uniform. So a believer identifies himself as one who belongs to Christ by being baptized in water. By this act, he publicly expresses submission to Christ's leadership and authority. He portrays visibly that he is a son of God. It is certain that the apostle is not suggesting that water baptism unites a person to Christ. That would be a blatant repudiation of his basic thesis that salvation is by faith alone. Nor is Paul likely referring here to spirit baptism, which places a believer in the body of Christ. Uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is invisible. There is nothing about it that corresponds to a public putting on of Christ. This is a baptism that is unto Christ, uh, just as the Israelites were baptized unto Moses, identifying themselves with him as their leader. So believers today are baptized unto Christ, signifying their recognition of him as rightful Lord. By baptism, the believer signifies also the burial of the flesh and its efforts to obtain righteousness. He signifies the end of the old way of life and the beginning of the new one. In water baptism, the Galatians confessed that they had died with Christ and had been buried with Him. Just as Christ died to the law, so they were dead to the law, and should not therefore desire to be under it as a rule of life. Just as Christ has, by His death, broken down the distinction between Jew and Gentile, so they have died to such national differences. They have put on Christ in the sense that they now live a completely new life, the life of Christ. 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. The law made distinctions distinctions between these, these classes. For instance, the distinction between Jew and Gentile is insisted on in uh, Deuteronomy 7, 6, Deuteronomy 14, 1, and verse 2. And in his morning prayer, a Jewish man thanked God that he had not made him a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. Are you offended? But that's what he would pray. Thank you, God, that you did not make me a Gentile. Thank you, God, that you did not make me a slave. And oh, thank you, God, you did not make me a woman. That's what he pray. Wow. Well, this next, this verse we just read says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. Pretty cool, huh? In Christ Jesus, these differences disappear. That is, as far as acceptance with God is concerned. A Jew is not preferred over a Gentile. A free man is not more favored than a slave, nor is a man more privileged than a woman. All are on the same level because they are in Christ Jesus. 
This verse must not be pressed into meaning something it does not say. As far as everyday life is concerned, not to mention public ministry in the church, God does recognize the distinction between male and female. So you, you, with things that are going on right now, all this uh, transgender, all this stuff that's going on, somebody can go and grab our Bible and say, see here, God doesn't see either. I mean, I've got all kinds of stuff that I could give them to use that you know, they can take it out of context and it would sound really good. I got this out of the Bible. You know, abortion's a big issue right now. Everybody's talking about the leak, uh, whatever, you know, from the Supreme Court. You know, I can take a person to what we just went over with the Passover and all that stuff, the, the meal, where Jesus says it would have been better for Judas not to ever been born. Somebody who's in for abortion. Oh, see there? See there? Even Jesus said it would have been better for that person not to be born and just totally mess up the, the Word of God. <clears throat> All righty. Well, there is a distinction. God does recognize the distinction between male and female. The New Testament contains instructions addressed to each. It also speaks separately to slaves and masters. But in obtaining blessing from God, these things do not matter. The great thing is to be in Christ Jesus. This refers to our heavenly position, not to our earthly condition. Before God, before God the believing Jew is not a bit superior to the converted pagan. Verse 29. Or do we have time to do 29? Do we have we run out of time? That's the last three. 29. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So just, just be a person of faith. Be, leap, be like Abraham and finally come to the conclusion that God has it figured out, what he says is right, even if you don't understand it, even if you don't agree with it, believe it anyway, and be patient on him. Don't try to help him out. Believe it. Because if you believe God, it will be accounted to you for righteousness. And you can say, I am the righteousness of God. Well, what makes you so good? I believe God. That's it. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And Father, I thank you for the Holy Spirit that helps us, guides us. And Father, as we walk through this world, as we just live here, waiting for you to return, Father, we want to be people who have put on Christ. We, we want to be like that soldier who proudly displays his uniform. Father, we want to put on Christ and proudly display your love to a hurting world. Father, help us to do it. And Father, help us to see the uh, opportunities that you give us that we can minister to those that need to know you. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray.